Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues. I suppose that everyone knows me from Darlene, Timor and Kinali, what have you, Bally Connell. <laughs> Kieran McGinley as a player was a phenomenal player and he didn't cry and he didn't whinge, you know. Jim knows where I am if he wants to chat to me. Like. Probably that's what we've read about anyway and that's what we've been told and uh, we'll probably not hear it again the next time we get bit, you know. The Ulster Championship excites the crowd. There isn't another province that's as competitive as that. And if truth be told, I mean, what, what is the point of this? Might have 20, 30,000 down fans, and it's going to be great, it's going to be brilliant, it's going to be better than, that, than, than anything I've ever experienced. And then, of course, if you're a county player going after the club match, <laughs> some boy <laughs> got to give you the hatchet. <laughs> this group of players means so much to me, I couldn't hold me the light after the game. Well, that was the week, that was another busy one for the good GA people of Ulster. That's if you count building snowmen, watching television and eating biscuits and generally getting withdrawal symptoms from the lack of Valiance League's action as busy. You'll be pleased to know that we are back. This is the We Are Ulster podcast brought to you by Alliance and I'm Paul Fitzpatrick. This is the week of the derby in Ulster football in the Alliance Leagues and I broke the cabin fever earlier on to catch up with Declan Bogue for a chat about everything from the Battle of Bally Buffet in the 1970s to poets attending the Ulster final. So enjoy. Declan, thanks for joining me again on the We Are Ulster podcast. We're, we're uh, a three-man team that's down to two because Damien is down under in Australia again. He picked a good week to go. Uh, what was the snow like up around your neck of the woods? Not too bad. It, um, I could know that it was annoying more so than actually, you know, obstructive. But uh, it, it, it forced the uh, postponement of the Ahalu bonding training weekend in Guidoir. So some of the boys weren't that happy with it, and, uh, and some of the boys hit the hit the beer hard over the weekend. It has to be said, some of the big name players. Um, uh, the hurling, of course, on Thursday night it had to be cancelled too. So it was a real odd weekend. Paul, uh, I went into a shopping centre. Can you believe on Sunday? That's how I spent my Sunday evening and bumped into a lot of different people, county footballers and, and county. Uh, strength and conditioning coaches, all with long faces, not quite knowing what they were doing with their life, you know. <laughs> yeah, will Ahalu be, be issuing a press release about this uh, this booze ban that they're going to be bringing in now? I think they're going to uh, put out uh, some kind of, uh, uh, they're going to get the national newspapers to write, but maybe not make it look like advertorial. Oh, Jesus, don't, don't mention the war. We are also didn't get any of that uh, 20-40 morning, yeah. unfortunately. Declan, the big game this week, this weekend is the meeting of Tyrone and Donegal. I know you were reading up on the, the old battles that they used to have. There was a famous, ba- I think it was the Battle of Bally Buffet, was it, back in the day, which was one of, the record was one of the dirtiest games of football ever played. That's right. Um, we're just you kind of look at these games and you think of angles to to to, um, to examine. But with Donegal and, and Tyrone, and there's you know history always repeats itself too. Like you know, uh, Donegal were always everybody's you know kind of harmless outfit all the way through their history. Um, as a matter of fact, you ever read trilogy by Leon Uris? No, I haven't. No, okay, right. There's a, there's uh, you know, one of the central characters is a Donegal footballer, and it's, it's quite, anyway, it's it's um, it's it's filthy stuff, like you know, for the most part. I'm not just talking about the footballer, but anyway, the um, 
the thing about Donegal and Tyrone is like you know I mean most pretty much until until uh, Jim McGuinness came along, pretty much every success in Donegal was related to Brian McEnough. Like in 1972, they won their first Ulster. Uh, I'm right. The thing I'm right in saying that that was their first Ulster, and he was player manager. And they'd beaten Tyrone that year, and then of course Tyrone being thick with it, don't like teams getting one up, and especially don't like a team from a neighbouring county doing that, which is Tyrone are like the Tipperary of the North, we talked about that before, like the, their border in Armagh, Man and Fermanagh, Donegal and Derry, like there's just so much rivalry in Ulster because they're such a uh, geographically so central. Um, but, and actually there's a, there's a small bit of uh, Antrim border, I think, on Loch Ney, if you're being technical about it, but anyway, they, they played in 1973 in Ballybuffet and Tyrone came and they were, uh, I just was reading back on, and uh, Alan Foley had a feature years ago in the Examiner about it, uh, where it talked about Neely Gallagher who had been playing and uh, he was marking a legendary figure, I think it's tomorrow Marble called Mickey John Forbes and he says uh, Gallagher would, was talking about them throwing thumps into each other from the first whistle. But then after a quarter of an hour, uh, Forbes, I think, came at him. And the report in the local newspaper, the Donegal Democrat, said it was a savage assault in cold blood with premeditation. Um, <laughs> yeah, and here's the next thing. Having been taken to a nearby cafe first, Gallagher was taken to Letter County General Hospital where surgeons managed to save his eye. Oh now, I don't know, what did they bring him for a cafe first? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were getting ice. Yeah, well, okay, right, that's fair enough. Like, but the, the report then later said that the, the game descended into open warfare as McAniff and Joe Winston Cornwall, and the great name that is, were levelled, as was Tyrone's Patsy Hetherington. Um, Tyrone's wing forward, Seamus Donahue, was dismissed for striking Andy Kern before half time. He got sent off for giving me a box in the nose and bursting it, revealed Curran. <laughs> there were some wild tackles. It's a mystery more players weren't injured. And then, like, uh, you know, um, in his own writing here, puts, like, you know, the visiting supporters were blamed by locals for the threatening behaviour. Hurling bottles and stones, fights broke out like bushfires. It's just incredible stuff. Like, you know, I mean, if that sort of thing happened in a championship game now, there would be so much blanket coverage of it, like, you know, and yet things like that kind of did happen. And, We've a great habit in the GA talking about how we can put people right beside each other from neighbouring counties, and it was just a, a bit of slagging and like joking, like you know. But it wasn't always so. Like one of the other things about it was that the local paper were very harsh. I mean, like this was a Donegal team that were defending Ulster champions, right, under a player manager, and you know, McNiff. And the uh, newspaper report of the game, you know, that they had the following: night. Donegal beat themselves, or rather, the management mentors, or whatever you want to call them, did. What did the mentors do, question mark? Damn all, it's time the players demanded an explanation. After all, if one of them has a bad game, he is dropped. But when the sideline display their sheer incompetence, as they did so well on Sunday, nothing happens. They remain a threat to the progress of the team. Now, that was the team, bear in mind, that won their first Ulster a matter of, you know, a, a few months beforehand. This is the heart of Donegal's troubles, and until it is resolved, Good players will feel frustrated and abused. I mean, and managers don't talk to newspapers now over anything. Like you know, they, they don't. You know, Jim Gavin doesn't talk to RT because RT doesn't provide 
match match day uh, coverage of upcoming rivals. You know, listen to this stuff. Like, you know, it's absolutely mad. They actually talked about that this report finishes bars and body buffet closed to avoid further confrontation and away fans were accused of causing trouble in Castle Finn on the way home. Uh, there was a call put through to Jerry Arthur, who was a servant of the council secretary at the time, seeking an investigation. And Donegal actually considered for a time of joining Connacht after the whole blow up. That's incredible. It's incredible. Um, you mentioned the criticism for for their own team. Well, that's something I've noticed a lot going back through the archives. Two things that stood out for me looking at old old matches in the archives. One is that maybe up until the late sixties, even the early seventies, players would generally big up their team's chances. So let's say when Cavan were in the mm. Ireland semi final, they'd they'd go into a training camp for a week or two beforehand and the local paper, the cell that I work for, would go along to the camp and every player they interviewed would say, Oh yeah, we'll beat them. We'll we'll beat them by six or seven points. But how does do these huge changes come about that it goes from a point where Players would never say a negative word. But do people think they're being more savvy by saying, yeah, we're going to, like a Dublin player, they saying, yeah, we're going to really struggle against Carlo? Like, do you think they're being more acute? Or do you, I, I often wonder this, like, you know, is people that downplay their chances so much, like that, oh, we have to respect them and, and it's going to be a real tough game. And then they win a game which they're expected to win. And they're raging at reporters for not having tipped them up. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, they don't play their chances, and then people, some people are tempted then to buy into it and say, well, you know, this team don't, don't seem all that confident. Anyway, getting back to Johnny Gall and uh, Tyrone, there was one final line in it. The following year in the championship, they reclaimed Ulster with a replayed victory over down. They had beaten uh, Tyrone and Healy Park, right, in 198, but they togged out in Bally Buffet. They went down in the bus to Oma. And then they left home and went to Bally Buffet to shower and talk out. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? That's absolutely classic. I wanted to ask you while we're on the subject, Declan, what do you think is the fiercest rivalry in, in Ulster football at the minute? You mentioned Tyrone have technically have five or six derby games there, but what do you think, not even at the minute, but traditionally, what is the, what is the fiercest rivalry? I think it's wherever you, whatever borderline you go on, like, you know, it's a funny one, like, uh, it's really, right, okay, Armagh Down is apparently, you know, harm scarum and, and all the rest, and, you know, you like the McEntees and different people that would have attended school at the Abbey CBS in Newry, like, uh, so a lot of Armagh people would have went to St. Coleman's College, and they would feel then, you know, people are going to sort of discos around that area, uh, where clubs would sort of draw their own lines in the, in the hall, and, you know, it's it, it's kind of madness. Like so, you know, our man down one, uh, Calvin Monaghan along that Maraclun area. I'm sure people would contend that that's pretty. Uh, the the that'll be hard fought. Um, Throne Derry was was a traditionally like. I mean, you know, you you actually were talking about it before about in the nineties just how poisonous some of these got. Like, and and there was a time, possibly in the two thousands, where Throne and Armagh there was a right bit of was serious hatred. I mean, there was things, incidents happening in the stand uh, during that 2005 Ulster final. A former throne player got involved with an Armagh player that had been sent off. You know, uh, there was a lot of things like that. I mean, you know, you take someone from an area of Tyrone like Arbo, and they would feel that, say, Derry is their big rival, whereas someone 
on the other side of the county, like, you know, Ray McManaman used to say that he loved beating Fermanagh. Well, you know, really, what odds did it make to a, a fella like Brian McGuigan of the bid Fermanagh? He knew nothing about it, like he was that far away. Rory Dunn from my own club, he would always say that Monaghan and Fermanagh are, are the, were the games that, that he really got up for. But that's because our club has a border with Monaghan and Fermanagh, whereas if you're mm. Virginia or somewhere like that... You, you wouldn't care about that. Yeah, talking about the mid-90s in Ulster, I sent you on that piece that I wrote. Um, I was just looking back. It was a piece really about Maddie Midlean and, and and kind of the the crucible in which he would have forged his managerial ideas when he was playing football himself in the mid-90s. And when Cavan got to the Ulster final in 95, the county went mad. And I looked up, the Anglo Celt had a supplement that week and there were 87 advertisements in it wishing the team good luck. And at the time, the population of the county was about 45,000. So you... 87 ads was, was an awful lot of ads. There wouldn't have been that terrible many businesses in the county. But anyway, Matty Medlinen flicked the winning goal to the net. And it was a, there was a brilliant piece by Tom McIntyre, who was a, a poet and playwright, uh, colour mm-hmm. that he wrote on the game. And he talked about what a carnival it was. Who did he write that for? He wrote it for the Anglo Celt. Um, he used to write colour right, pieces right. On, on big games. So I'll, I'll just read out the first line of it. He said, Clonus, two hours before the match, the streets packed and rich with colour, sun shining, hamburgers and hot dogs hopping up and down like eggs in a panja. It's a fair, I thought. The Ulster final has become a fair, a festival, a flat. You know, have, have we lost that? I can just imagine that scene, an Ulster final in the 90s in Clonus, maybe the sun shining. Have we lost that from Ulster football? Hey, maybe we, I don't know, because quite honestly, uh, when you're working at these games, you don't get to see an awful lot of the colour in the streets anymore. You know, unless you get there early, unless you run it very late then, you know, in order to go along and check out the sights and sounds, you want to be in the pub uh, half an hour before throwing. But as a, a journalist, you can't do that, as you know. And, you know, we've been to the last number of uh, Ulster finals going back a decade. Like So I remember being on the street, uh, going up and down the street for Fman Armagh in 08 and seeing the whole place absolutely stuffed. And every bar and pub and all the rest, and that was from about like half eleven in the morning. Um, there still is that atmosphere, and when you know the odd time, I might bring a few Comanches along with me to a game, and let them uh, be the chauffeur, and like you know, obviously you're finishing up work after a game, so that gives them time to go down and take a look at what's around them or in the town. But when you drive down through Clonus, it's like a scene in Beirut. Like at times, you know, there's broken glass everywhere, people spilling out of the places. I do think there's there's probably part of that. And there's a, the other thing of like, you know, is anything a big away day, a big jolly day is up anymore? Like, you know, you look at, say, Roger, or was it Wigan that beat Man City, right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we are sitting watching it in the house. And, uh, you know, the thing that struck me was, there was a massive, uh, you know, pitch invasion, if you want to call it that, and everyone is is completely high on life, high on the result of soccer and all the rest. But everyone's holding their mobile phone, taking pictures of themselves and taking videos of themselves being on the pitch. You know, maybe we've become more, uh, we've become islands in ourselves, and that nobody really is living for the moment anymore. Like you know, and and, and maybe that's an isolation within ourselves. Um, that's that's a hot hot take there, Paul. Scalding. It says a lot about about uh, the state of Premiership soccer that the Wigan result was was viewed as such an absolute. It was described as a fairy tale, and like you know, Wigan with their millions and millions and millions of uh, 
budget and, and of a turnover are now the you know they're the, the giant killers which which says all about the way that game has gone but you know back well I suppose briefly we're talking about soccer and I did say to you off air that it's a big week for one manager of a, a team in red who are trying to get back to former glories and that's Arsene Wenger but it's a big, big week for another one that fits the bill too that's Mickey Hart maybe yeah. maybe we're, we're borrowing too much from the whole soccer thing but is is a lot of pressure going to come to bear on Mickey Hart if they don't get a result against Billy Gold this again. No, no, I, no, I would definitely not think so because it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, sort of being relegated to Division Two before. I mean, you know, it'll not affect Mickey Hart's position as throne manager or any like. You know, you hear people who. They don't really understand it. Like, you know, do, do they imagine that Mickey Hart is the type of man that would say, oh, yeah, God, if we haven't had a good start to the National League, so I'm going to walk away here. Like, you know, this National League has been uh, one of the strangest ones that I can recall because it started the week early and even just for the lack of some of the weather that the football has been played in. Like, normally you start at the first week of February, you play two games, and there's a week break then to allow the hurling leagues to start. But that hasn't happened. There's been three games being bang, bang, bang. And there was a McKenna Cup final in the middle of all that that uh, Hart had his famous, now infamous interview. You know, but I mean, that McKenna Cup final was something or nothing. Like, there's 14 changes made to the team that had played the previous week against Kildare in the league. Like, you know, it was nothing. You know, neither manager uh, had a team even resembling the team that's going to play this weekend. So I don't think there's any pressure whatsoever. But I do think that uh, there'll be pressure from within, self-contained pressure. Like, you know, the team will not want to lose. Tyrone will not want to lose to Tommy Gall again. Like, you know, not in Healy Park, not with a championship coming up. Like, they'll be keen to keep, like, at the minute, Tyrone have the uh, Indian sign over them, but they'll be keen to keep that going. Plus, no matter what anyone says, and there's no pressure, I don't think, like, relegation wouldn't, particularly worry too many in Toronto, but they'll they'll want to stay up and they're two games away from doing that and if you want to travel down to Castle Bar and pick up points may or a wee bit in and out they're a bit iffy but Kerry coming to Healy Park the week after I wouldn't want to take them because Kerry have an extremely good record in Healy Park the way the game changes, you know, the, the changes when you look back, the changes do come very quick, and we see them in a lot of sports. You know, you, I, I always think the example of Katie Taylor. It's when they're at their at their absolute zenith that's when when uh, the chinks start to appear. You only notice it in hindsight. It's in, imperceptible at the time, but Tyrone looked so strong last year in Ulster. I'm only talking solely in an Ulster sense here. Like they, they did look, they were the, the most free scoring team ever in the Ulster Championship. They totally dismantled Darren in the Ulster final. Do you think? Uh, their graph is still on the rise. I know it's hard to base it on this league, but do you think their graph is still on the rise or, or might that 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 have been the apex for them and they might be just coming down a wee bit? Mm. Uh, well, I'll ask, you, I'll, I'll ask you that in a different way. Like in, compar- in comparison to who? <coughs> yeah, well, that's true, but in, in the context of what, what teams in Ulster can we really say are on the rise? You know, Monaghan mm-hmm. just keep on keeping on. Cavan possibly... Are on the rise from where they were last year. Uh, yeah, well, like, let's yeah. let's examine like examine the, the throne form today, right? Who did play in the first game? Galway. Galway sort of have taken everybody by surprise. They really have. They had Dublin in the following game against Healy Park. That again, every game against Dublin is starting to teach some harsh lessons. 
Um, but at the same time, they showed for the first half exactly what they could do before Dublin brought two sweepers back to sit in front of their full back line. Kildare they went down there and they played a game in snow and they won by a point. Uh, they played a mechanical final that doesn't even probably deserve me even mention it. And then they went down to Castle Blaney and they met a Monon team that was laying in wait for them big time. Uh, and even at that, they should have snatched the draw. Like, I mean, you're giving the ball to a clutch player like Peter Hart in the last day of the game and his 30-meter shot doesn't go over the bar, doesn't carry. Uh, so they're not far away. Like, you know, um, the one thing I will say, right, I kind of examined this a wee bit last week. They got five points from play against Galway and six points from play against Monaghan and um, said on Twitter, you know, thrown definitely of scoring woes here. Uh, they're not generating enough from play. But uh, we talked about this, we touched on this last week briefly, about they were setting scoring records then. And, you know, there's the dry ball theory, like, you know, once they get a dry ball into their hand, uh, they're going to be a totally different proposition. And here's the other thing. See this uh, April only exclusively for clubs thing? That is going to be very interesting to see how counties use that because you know with no games coming up like you know normally the games what stretched into the middle of April didn't they and then you had a period of about three weeks really if you're playing a preliminary in Austria you had three weeks to get everything at your house in order and plus possibly you know the, the clubs had to be played off a number of opening league games too so you're minding the shot through that you know in April yes Players are going to be club players are going to be playing at the weekend, but you have your entire month of April to train and tactically prepare for your Ulster Championship uh, when weather is a wee bit better, conditions are far better. Um, so it's, I think it actually makes for there's elements of the championship that's going to be very exciting because of that, at least for the nerds anyway to see what you know teams can cook up with full exclusive training. You're not worrying about what the next league game is. You can just say, right, okay, we have six weeks out from this game, seven weeks out, eight weeks out from our first round game. This is what we're going to do. The thing with Tyrone is their box office. No matter what happens, you know they're 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 the team that gets the headlines, and they're the team that has won things. Uh, Hart has the charisma to make them that no matter what he says, people want to hear. I know if I see a link on my timeline with Mickey Hart said something, I would click mm. into it because they still retain that X factor and that aura, which is crucial to them. Yeah, well, you know, you've got that, and then Donegal have a lot of interesting things going on, too, like, you know, with their players and their team, that you know, and Declan Bonner, and then you've got that, you know, let's be honest, like, there's a poison between the two counties that has existed there, like, you know, you remember even looking at Jim McGuinness's uh, book, and he had talked about Tyrone as being the model of what he based Donegal on, and, like, you know, when he sent Donegal out to play in 2011 against Tyrone, that was the thing that he'd been building from the first, like from their first meeting back uh, from pre-season. He was talking about Tyrone, Tyrone, Tyrone. And uh, this was his chance then to show what they had done. And then when they beat Tyrone, or sorry, when they were playing Tyrone, uh, they had talked, the team had talked uh, about different methods Tyrone had used to put them down in the past. And one of them was which legend about getting them boys' faces and telling them you're looking useless and what would you ever do? And uh, they devised a strategy that, you know, whenever a Tyrone player would, would speak to them, they'd just say, well, not today, not today, not today, you know. So therefore, they wouldn't get embroiled in it. They wouldn't have to think it was just an automatic response and that would shield them from getting in the slagging match. And I thought it was very clever. But even at that, uh, 
So Donegal beat them that day. Donegal beat them in the championship the following year. Donegal went on, went on to win the All-Ireland. Tyrone beat them in the league in 2013. You remember that match is the one that Carl Lacey got spat on by a supporter in Healy Park. Carl Lacey wasn't even playing. He was injured. He was come back from injury. He was in a tracksuit that day. Uh, Michael Murphy was sent off. He, he had hit a penalty. was saved by Neil Morgan. He was trying to follow it up. And he, I think he ended up catching Morgan in the chest. And it was largely accidental, but he got the line for it. It was a really poisonous game. McGinnis said after that game that Mickey Hart came up to him and shook his hands and said, uh, thanks for the game or whatever. Yous were great Ulster. Yous were great All-Ireland champions. And the next line in the book was, yous were. <laughs> you know, he was putting it in. And he actually, the expression was that Mickey Hart had greeted him, had greeted him uh, after each time they beat them with a look as if, you know, as if McGuinness had let Mickey Hart down in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about Mickey Hart's teams and looking from the outside in, and the same could be said of Sean Boylan's knee teams was, you know, you, you'd, you'd have interviewed Mickey Hart a lot more than I would have, Declan, but he, he strikes me as such a great gentleman and he and he, he, he uh, composes himself so well in, in dreadful situations with all the tragedy that, that the, he has dealt with over the years. And Sean Boylan, the same, one of the great gentle, gentlemen, but there was there was that mean streak to their teams. Like, they can't deny that, and they were, they were well capable of going over the line if needed to be. There was, a, there was a real contradiction there, wasn't there? Yeah, but t- people get um, people get confused about this. Like, I mean, you, you can your personality doesn't necessarily have to be exactly how you train your football team to be. I mean, it goes back to the whole thing of Art McCrory years ago being asked, about their own discipline in the early 90s. And the line, the famous line he came out was, what's the point in me putting manners in my boys when the boy up the road won't do for his? Yeah. You know, um, and I, I don't really understand that. Or just because you project a certain outward image and you, you know, you are this certain type of person that your team have to be choir boys. I mean, no, t- no team ever won anything with choir boys. No, right? Let's look at Dublin. And, you know, because they don't do any, because the Dublin players don't do any sit-downs with any journalists that are ever going to reveal anything. The only time they give an interview is when they're pushing some kind of a, a product uh, for the benefit of themselves individually or the Dublin team. And what you get is eight or nine, ten journalists all sitting around in a circle asking them questions. You know, every journalist has a certain level of uh, professional um, discretion where... They would never ask the question. They really want to ask the subject because then everybody else has the answer to it as well. Yeah. Right? So nobody knows Dublin. Like, you know, no, nobody knows the lengths that these boys would go to win a game uh, because they don't really talk about it or anything like that unless it's after the event. And, uh, and that, so the only thing we can really judge them on is their actions. And their actions last year when they were looking to take the final kick out in the All-Iron final, and three players all of a sudden grabbed their opponents and dragged them to the ground. You know, that that is something that doesn't just happen by accident. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, it's, so, it's, it's, I mean, you know, Jim Gavin would always have talked about the respect everybody has for each other, uh, and we, we only focus on ourselves and all that. It's, it, it's all just a game. Like, it's all just an image game. You know this thing. You know he he has said in the past many times that they no, they don't look at the opposition. They never 
look at the opposition, we only look at ourselves. But now he's not speaking RTE because they wouldn't give him footage of the upcoming opposition. You mentioned Art McCrory. I, I did come across a funny quote when I was looking up about that 1995 Ulster final, which had a crowd of 33,000 out, funny enough. But um, the quote from Mark McCrory after the game was, for too long, Tyrone were like a wonder bra, all support and no cup. Oh, he was fantastic. He was at a launch of uh, Donald Michael Allen's book uh, on Cormac there prior to Christmas. And uh, he, at one point, like, I mean, he's just, he's got no filter. He's just like, I, I probably won't read this book, he says, because I have my own memories and I don't want to change them about Cormac, you know. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, it's such an amazing thing to say at, the, at a book launch. Yeah, yeah. Well, just just to finish off, I just wanted to, there was a denouement to that story I was telling about uh, Tom McIntyre at the 1995 Ulster final. Uh, who wrote the colour piece he mentioned Shane Connaughton who's another famous writer from Cavan Tom actually played in goals for Cavan in the 50s but Shane is a great uh, Cavan supporter and playwright and author and all the rest of it but he mentioned it in the piece and I, when I came across it last night I sent it on to Shane and he sent me back a long email with a, with a like Tom is still mad live but he sent me back a long email with a few memories of Tom and different things that happened at football matches over the years and he he said he remembered that, that evening talking to him at that Ulster final and out of the blue, McIntyre was a really raconteur and a bit of a, a bit of a kill boy, as they say in Cavan. But he, he said so. Uh, <laughs> have you have, Connaughton turns around? And you think he was kind of trying to impress him or live up to this learned poet? And he says, "Have you ever read Joseph Brodsky?" Now you know more than me, Declan. I don't know who that is, but he goes, "Have you ever read Joseph Brodsky?" And McIntyre goes, "I lived with him in Ackle Island for a while." <laughs> he says, "He just crushed him." So, no, I've never heard of Joseph Brodsky. You don't hear Joseph Brodsky mentioned in Tony Gold. No, I'm going to Google it. Go right to that now. Joseph Brodsky. Let me just check. A Russian and American poet and essayist. I don't think that. I don't think that Brodsky made it to any Clonus finals now. Well, I can safely say there will be no other podcast in the world this week that would preview Tyrone and Donegal and mention Joseph Brodsky. So thanks a million, Declan, for joining us again on the We Are Ulster podcast. Yeah, we never really got our, We never really got round to talking about who's going to win or, but uh, no. We'll see in time, won't we? <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Okay, thanks a million, Declan. Alliance. Supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues.